Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. And if you want to get stirred up, if you want to get stirred up intentionally by the hot takes of Michael Gallagher, that Andrew Burnett's going to get fired soon, make sure you go at MG Sports underscore. Because that's hey, I didn't, I didn't. I just tweeted the information. It was it was emailed <laughs> to me by someone in Vegas. So I put it out there. You guys do with it what you will. Uh, we will get into that because Andrew Brunette was the third most likeliest coach to get fired in the NHL as of this as of time of taping, and that's of course after the Edmonton Oilers fired a coach. We'll get into how absurd and ridiculous that conversation actually is. I hope everyone knows that I am kidding uh, when I when I say that. It is, however, off of the heels of the worst week of Preds hockey that we've had so far this season. We've got goaltending defense injuries, unfortunately, some minor injuries that have already solved themselves and maybe some bad injuries that will be impacting this team for a longer period of time. But with that comes opportunity. So we're all about the spin cycle here this year on the pod. It's we're going to have negative. We're going to have positive. You got to try to find both sides of it. Understand the negative, but then try to find the positive as well, because it's hard when you're in last place, you have 10 losses. The only team with more in the Western Conference is the San Jose Sharks. Uh, you've given up 16 goals in three games. You're giving up two goal leads, and uh, you're one in six in your last seven. So uh, we're going to try to find some positive stuff. There is some notes uh, from around the NHL, maybe some rule changes in overtime. Um, uh, there's some Canada still angling for more hockey, as usual, uh, and uh, a, a really bizarre twist in the Adam Johnson tragedy. Uh, the player who, who of course, passed away after his neck was cut by a blade in in a game in, I guess, England. So uh, really random twist and turn in that story. So we'll get to that coming up a little bit later on. Um, before we do any of that, however, make sure you sign up at Nashville Hockey Now. Uh, go get yourself a subscription. You can get really good stuff from Michael Gallagher and co. Uh, there's plenty of good stuff up there now, so make sure you go get a subscription. And, of course, the Gold Standard Podcast is brought to you by Jaspers. That's right. That's right. It's brought to you by Jaspers. Um, look, if you need a couple beers watching the third period of the Nashville Predators, because that's the period in which you need beers, uh, a good place to do that would be Jaspers because the parking is free and the beers are cheap. And They're they also good good. in the first and second periods, too. They do taste good in the first and second periods, and maybe they actually taste better. I don't know. Does a beer taste better when you're winning or does it taste better when you're losing? I don't know. <laughs> I think it tastes better when you're winning, but it has more of a an effect on you when you're losing. <laughs> it reduces stress uh, and, enha- and uh, enhances your experience in the third period, uh, but it tastes delicious in the first and second. So um, go go to Jasper's, everybody. The food's great. And of course, great happy hour, great partner of your Nashville Predators. Okay. So six goals against Winnipeg in a 6-3 loss, seven goals against Arizona in a 7-5 loss, three goals against Anaheim in a 3-2 loss. Those last two coming at home in which they gave up multiple goals in four of those six periods of home hockey. They have lost four straight, uh, one and six in their last seven. UC Saros, by the way, started all four of the last four losses. The last win they had was a Lincoln in start. Um, so clearly Andrew Burnett does not listen to the gold standard. <laughs> you Maybe you're right. Um, so I, we'll get to like a lot of the other statistics, but... I wanted to just generally get your thoughts on what has led to this week of of what what has led to this stretch that is the worst of the season so far, knowing full well that there is going to be growing pains, that there's going to be ups and downs, that this is going to be a roller coaster. 
What, in your opinion, has led to what we now have to call the worst stretch of Preds hockey of the season to date? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know if there's like one thing you can kind of place your finger on. I think the thing that sticks out probably the most is the goaltending. And, and we know that UC Saros traditionally has been a slow starter, but this is kind of getting a little to be a little bit concerning. And I know you can kind of go back and forth um, talking about all the different things that he does and he makes great saves and all this stuff like that. And that's all true. But Anaheim, you allowed three goals, Arizona, six goals, Winnipeg, five goals, Calgary, three, Seattle, four. Like he usually doesn't have very many stretches where he's letting in that many goals at one time. And look, it, it's a new system. And we we talked a little bit about how. Well, we talked a lot about how the new system affects the forwards. We talked a little bit how it defect, how it affects the defensemen. And we've touched on it a little bit with how it affects the, the, the goaltending. But I think that's that's an underrated part of it, too. Because Saros is having to adjust to seeing more shots, having to adjust from different angles. Like these shots are coming from everywhere. Last year, he he basically knew what was going to happen because the Predators had were they were very like I don't know formulaic. Like it was the, like they had a script that they stuck to, and he kind of knew where the shots were coming from, who they were coming from, and he he basically roughly knew what to expect. Now it's kind of a free for all, just the way the Predators play, the the up to up tempo style play, just the speed and everything. He's having to adjust to, to reading differently. And I, and I think that the thing I've noticed is this year, he's had to rely more on his puck tracking abilities than his just natural athletic talents. And that might be something that he hasn't really had to do with the way the Predators used to play, the different coaches he's played for, is he's having to he's having to be more of a mental player than like a physically gifted player, if that makes sense. Because now he's having to do more puck tracking. He's having to, he's having to use his eyes more. He's having to shift around in the net more. Whereas before, he could kind of just make spectacular saves just off of like the feel of the game. And that to me has been the one thing that's really stuck out. It's just kind of the, the goaltending. And I guess you, to a degree, the defense in front of him, because not every single goal is his fault. A lot of them have been recently, but you know, he's not going to be giving up these goals if the defensemen aren't letting them come in close and take all these shots. So I think that's what's really stuck out. And then the fact that they just, they can't keep a lead. I don't know what it is. And we can probably elaborate more on it, but the third period has been their Achilles heel this, this year. I mean, they, they're 11th in goals in the first period. They're 10th in goals in the second period. They are 30th in goals in the third period. They've only scored nine. They're one of the worst teams in the third period in the NHL this year. And that has got to change. If you, if you want to talk about growing and becoming a, a team, I mean, granted, I don't think anyone expects them to compete for a cup anytime next year or two. But if you're talking about growing and becoming one of those elite teams, like you have to be able to close other teams out. Yeah. And beating Anaheim at home with a two nothing lead uh, that that's pretty important. So I think there's two different conversations here and Anaheim without Trevor's egress too. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I think there's two different conversations. Like I do think Arizona is, uh, I've said this all along all season. I think Arizona is going to be better than people think, but giving up, but losing when you score five goals at home, that that's unacceptable. So I think that like, there's two different things here. There's one that I think falls on the coaching staff, and I think we'll get to that in a second. There's another one that I think is about the personnel, and that is, to me, what you said, goaltending UC Saros, you rattled off those numbers. Like That is not a stretch of games that UC Saros is going to have more than once or twice a season, even when the defense in front of him is bad. Although, I will say, the starting lineup without Ryan McDonough and Luke Shen, for all the, you know, the little one-liners about Luke Shen... Not having two of your top four defensemen, uh, again, Ryan McDonough, since he went out, they're one and four since he went out of the lineup. And those guys are both major penalty kill guys. So the penalty kill is a, is affected by the goaltending and the personnel. So I think one chunk of this stretch is just 
a couple of injuries packaged with UC Soros' slow start that, that affects the penalty kill and all that works together to give up goals. I think that's on the players. I think that's on 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 the personnel and the injuries and the and the goaltender. And we all know this. Sometimes we just forget, and maybe it's maybe it's just me that like teams largely go as their goaltender goes, and we kind of forget that sometimes. Um, so I think that's like one bucket, and I agree with everything you just said. I think the other bucket is tied something to something else too on Saros yeah, before you move yeah, on real it. quick. Just talking about, you know, it's easy to say, like, oh, he's having to play a different style of game. Some numbers help me illustrate that. Rush attempts against last year he was at 2.4 per game this year he's at 3.1 rebound shots he's facing last year's at 4.8 per game this year it's at 5.2 that's the kind of stuff the little things that maybe you might not notice that are that have really changed for him and and i I did this story i still haven't published it yet because i was putting more stats into it but this was before uh, last night's game of the 73 goalies that played this year saros had the third worst goal save above expected after leading the league in that category last year that tells you just how drastically goaltending has changed for the predators this year but and and that's the stat that he is every year has been amongst the best in the nhl yeah like he's, it's not he's just, usually top three in that stat yeah. this year he's bottom three in that stat right which essentially means like he's better than his surroundings for the large part of his career. Now he's worse than his surroundings and his surroundings have also gotten worse. <laughs> he so, also ranks 45th in high data save percentage too, if that tells you anything. And normally very good at that because he's yeah. normally very, very precise with his movement. So I, I think the simple answer is they're not all that talented goaltending and injuries. That That is one bucket of, I think, that we can expect to actually improve. So if you're looking to spin it in a positive, you're like, well, Saros is not going to play like this the whole season. As the system gets implemented, and as Ryan McDonough and Luke Shen come back, the system will be better. You you don't like I like Alex Carrier, but I don't want him killing penalties over Ryan McDonough and Luke Shen. So the penalty kills should get better as well, because this is a unit with the same largely same personnel and coaching that was a top ten unit last year. They're one of the worst. I think we've said it every every week on the show. They're up to they're up to seventy percent now, Michael. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, uh, they're up to seventy, which is thirtieth in the NHL. So they're bottom bottom three. Very rarely do we talk about a Predators team that ranks in the bottom third of the league in penalty kill. Nuts, nuts. So I think some progression to the mean with that group as they get healthier and UC Saros gets better. So I think that's one bucket. The next bucket is tied into the 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 troll tweet you sent out. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, it's reporting facts, and I think the facts in this situation are more of a reflection on the betting public and the perception of the team rather than reality. But it does not mean that this next big bucket, and you've already alluded to it, to me, falls on the coaching staff. So we know this is a young group. We know that the transition to the new system is an issue. We know there's going to be all this stuff, growing pains, ups and downs, etc. It is unacceptable to lose the games the way they are losing the games. And, And this is the part that I put on the coaching staff. You mentioned it. Nine goals total in the third period. They've given up 18 goals. They have been doubled up in the third period in scoring. And they've outshot their opponent 141 to 137 in the third period. So they're getting more shots than their opponent. And they're giving up twice as many goals. That, again, speaks to the penalty kill and the injuries into sorrows. You cannot give up this many multiple goal leads. Putting teams away finishing with leads, especially at home, especially against, and here's the other problem with this losing streak, against teams that aren't the league's best. That's another big problem with this stretch is that they're not losing to, like they're going to play Colorado on Monday. Like they, they, this is not the best teams in the NHL. This is Arizona and Anaheim we're talking about here at home. They just gave up 10 goals to. It's how they're losing that is going to demoralize a fan base faster 
and it and is going to put more pressure on Andrew Brunette than than anything else. And that's where I to me that's the coach's job is to solve those types of things. Is it is it focus in the third period? Is it energy levels in the third period? Is it do you change your system in the third period? Do you need to tweak things in the third period? To me, there's personnel issues that are glaring, and it's the goaltending and the defense and the injuries. But the coaches stuff is this weird third period giving up multi-goal leads at home. Like that shit is on the coach. And so I while I want to say that that's true, I also want to say there is no in no world are we having a conversation about the future coaching career of Andrew Burnett one fifth of the way into his first coaching season working for a man who was one fifth of one season into his general managing career who hired the guy to be the head coach like start. I'm sure people reacted to that tweet in a certain way. And I don't know why Vegas would put him on there other than the fact that they're, they're not great right now as a team. They're not good, but yeah, man, it was, I, <laughs> when I, I tweeted I, that the responses were, were pretty amusing. And I did so kind of, Tongue in cheek in a, in a like, look, yes, Jimmy Shapiro, who I, I don't know if he works for Bet Online or not, but he sends out to all the the you know national reporters and everybody that's involved in sports media. Anytime Bet Online has any of these these odds and stuff, he he emails everybody. Vingan probably still gets these emails, and I I just opened it because I was like, oh, who's the next head coach to be fired? This was shortly after uh, Edmonton got rid of, of Woodcroft, and I was like, oh, just uh, who who do they think is the next coach to be hired? I kind of expected to see. Uh, David Quinn high on the list because San Jose is is hot garbage right now, and John Hines is apparently hanging around practice. So put two and two together there. Uh, I expected Sheldon Keefe to be on the hot seat as well, just because Toronto is kind of underperforming and they have high expectations there. So I was just like, I, I want to see who's on this list. I opened it up and I did not expect to see Andrew Burnett anywhere on the list at all, more or less to see him number three. Thought it was interesting. I tweeted it out just to see what the reaction was because I, I kind of figured there were going to be people with their pitchforks ready to to burn down Bet Online for suggesting such blasphemy. And then I figured there was probably going to be one or two people that were out there that agreed because they want to see quick results and they they thought way too highly of Andrew Burnett going into the season. So I it, purely putting it out there for debate, which is exactly what I got. And for the most part, I think the reactions were pretty on par. 12 games, 13 games, however many games we are into the season, it's a little bit premature to be suggesting that Andrew Burnett is on the hot seat. Dean Evison, DJ Smith, David Quinn, Sheldon Keefe, those guys, okay, understandable. They've been they've been where they are for for a couple of years now. Like they have more, probably more expectations than Nashville does. And even Lane Lambert with the Islanders, he's he's a little bit further down the list, but he was someone that Preds fans would know. But Andrew Burnett is not, especially when he's BFFs with Barry Trotz, the general manager, the guy that hired him, who chose him over Spencer Carberry and Carl Taylor, who may or may not have been more qualified for the job. Who knows? But Andrew Burnett's not going anywhere. And and I tweeted that out. And I, largely, too, it kind of proves the point that this is why you should trust local reporters with the nuances of your team more than national reporters. Yes, the the Pierre Lebruns and, and the Elliot Friedmans, they're going to break new, big news and stuff like that. But when it comes to something like this, this is why you trust your Nash, your your local reporters, because people outside of Nashville probably are only looking at the box scores. They're probably only looking at the Preds are five and 10. Oh, Andrew Burnett should be on the hot seat because they're terrible and they don't understand what's going on here where they're in this weird kind of rebuild, but not a rebuild type phase. They've talked themselves into the players, the injuries, all the stuff going on. So I think most Preds fans kind of took it in stride and realized that it was kind of just 
one of those things where Vegas put it out there. Vegas doesn't really know what it's talking yeah. about, but still. Well, and Vegas knows what it's talking about, but its goal is not to get you to win on your bets. It's its goal is to get you to bet on a bunch of shit that is wrong. <laughs> that's, true, <laughs> that, yeah. that's what they want. And so they put Andrew Burnett in there and they're like, oh, the average person who doesn't know anything about hockey is going to look at the standing, see a last place team, which they are at time of taping. And 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 and, and a guy who's never been a, a official, he's been an interim head coach, but official head coach on a team that doesn't have a lot of projected upside. And they're going to gamble on a guy that could get fired next. Now, and not only did they put him in there, but they put him third on the list. He number has five, to one, yeah. five to one odds. If right. you're betting in Vegas, those are usually pretty good odds. It, it, I, Again, I, I don't know how they came up with this formula other than just looking at the box score and seeing the Predators kind of are bad right, right. now. But thir- third, the third best odds to be fired. It was just very surprising to see that. See, I don't. So Vegas is not. See, that's the thing about people. I assume that most people listen to this. If you're an avid gambler, you don't need to hear any of this. But if you don't, Vegas is doing this because they want to take your money, not because they want to help you win money. Yeah, yeah. They want well. They want what they want is they want it in a game. They want the odds to. They want equal dollars on both sides so that the house wins. That their goal is to set a point spread for a football game, like whatever number is for any given football game. They they want as much equal money coming in on both sides. But when it comes to like future bets like this, they want to try to. They want their. They want the illusion of value to appear. And the and it's not that Vegas has any preconceived notion about Andrew Burnett getting fired. They don't think he is. But they know that the average person gambling doesn't know any better. So they're going to say, look at this guy in last place who doesn't have a lot of experience with a bad team. Let's put him at five and one, five to one odds because people are going to look at like third, fourth, and fifth place on these kinds of bets and play the value. And, and the average person doesn't understand anything that's if you're sitting in New York or Chicago or Denver or, you know, I guess a rural area in Kansas or Missouri, I don't know. And you're betting on future future hockey coaches getting fired bets. I guess maybe you're a degenerate at that point. I don't know. But like you're probably not studying the inner workings of like the Preds new offensive system and, or again, the knowledge that Barry Trotz in his first two months as the general manager during a hockey season is not going to fire the man he handpicked to make him look good. Like his job is to handpick players and coaches. And while the NHL does do GMs in the NHL, they, they do crazy things. I get it again. Jay Woodcroft fired from Edmonton after going deep in the playoffs two years in a row. Yes. They took a slight step back in the postseason last year to the eventual champion Vegas. And yes, they were struggling. But like, if you look at the expected numbers for Edmonton, for example, they were like number one in the NHL and expected goals. They were three nine and one when he was fired. They've now hired the guy that apparently coached Connor McDavid when he was like twelve. So like I don't know how that's going to be better than the guy who led them to the Western Conference Finals once. I think and the NHL has script writers just like the NFL does. I, probably, probably, <laughs> and some nepotism problems just like the NFL and Hollywood does. And the um, difference between Woodcroft though and, and Brunette, and again, Brunette's not going to get fired, but he has Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. He has no excuse to be right, playing as poorly right. as he does. Brunette's out there working with a hodgepodge of like. Good players, kind of middle of the road players and really young players trying to find their footing in the NHL. Yeah, exactly. So I just for the sake of the conversation, the conversation is the thing that's ridiculous. If if me putting that tweet out offended you, I am very sorry. I did not mean (laughs) to to piss you off. I just thought it was funny that we're already talking about Andrew Burnett being fired 12 games. I I, honestly what I saw (laughs) was like I was like, what? That is absolutely not a thing. Who is Vegas trying to trick here? 
And again, I guess it's the casual better who's like got nothing, the total degenerate that's got nothing better to do, but is also uninformed, which again, does those feel like different people, but whatever. Uh, so I just putting that to bed, I do think, and this goes back to like, this goes back to like a real issue here. The, the, the power play is better. It's improved. Some of the young players like Philip Forsberg's playing very well. Uh, has has been surging in the last couple of weeks. Luke Evangelista, this is my weekly. Here's my weekly. I love a Luke Luke Evangelista moment in the show. Like I, I think he's still on the right trajectory. Uh, Tommy Novak, who now is injured, of course, out four to six weeks, a huge injury that's going to be a major problem for the team. Was a point per game player, and Ryan Riley's had a great start to the season. Um, they they've had moments of really good looking hockey against a very good New York team. They shut out Seattle at home. Like there's been moments. They are injured on defense. The goaltending's not been good, and they're just not an overly talented goal-scoring team. That's the foundation. Now you've got a layer on top of it. The issues that I think are on the coach, which is, again, why is the third period different than the first and second period? And how do you finish games with a bunch of young players? To me, that's the coach's job. That That's what I put on Andrew Burnett is this. You cannot lose at home scoring five goals against Arizona. You cannot lose at home against Anaheim giving up three in a row after a two goal lead. And you can't be, you can't have this kind of discrepancy of scoring in the third period. That's what I put on Andrew Burnett. Yeah. And, and I think something else to that kind of helps illustrate that point too, is the predators have, they struggle with holding on to the leads and we talked about how bad they are in the third period. The second period hasn't really been great for them either. They've given up 19 goals in the second period. And that's around the time that the tide starts turning in these games where they give up a goal or two in the second period, then the wheels just kind of fall off in the third period. They've, they've given up 37 goals in the, in the second and third period combined. Like those are, they, they, they played pretty well, pretty decently in the first period. They need to figure out how to stop the game from getting away from them yeah. in the middle of it in the second period, and then stop it from going off the rails in the third period. And, and again, to what, to your point, that is on John, or, sorry, John Hines. Well, wow. you did it this week. I did it last I was, week. Yeah, <laughs> that is on. I'm just so used to blaming John Hines for everything. I know, I know. That is on Andrew Burnett. That is on Dan Hino. That is on Todd Richards. That is on everybody else on the coaching staff. The power play seems to be figuring things out. The penalty kill needs to get its act together. The rest of the team. This this is what we're talking about right here. This is where the coaching staff, I, I think. And again, this I hope this doesn't come off as controversial. I think all things considered, the players are doing a pretty good job given the circumstances they're in with what's going on, with having to all the line changes that are going on, having to learn a new system, having to play faster than they probably ever had to play in their career. You have a new voice. And that's something that, that I think gets a little bit lost in the in the mix here, too, is you had Peter Laviolette for five, six years. You had John Hines for four years. Now you have Andrew Burnett. How, how do some of these players... How do they take in the new coaching? How do they take in that new voice? Do they, when they're in a certain situation, when they're facing adversity, do they kind of fall back on what they did when John Hines was the coach and the things that they were taught then? I think there's all these things that you just kind of throw it all into a blender. And this is all of the adversity the Predators are having to deal with. But like you said, I, th- I think it goes back to the coaching staff. This is this is something that they're going to have to figure out. They need to watch these games and, and look and be like, okay, this is what's what's not working. We need to cut that from the playbook. This is what is working. Maybe we need to do this a little bit more. And they need to figure out an effective strategy for, one, holding on to leads, and two, figuring out how to get the penalty kill in order and, and just be, being playing better five-on-five five hockey, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I think the I, I think we've hit this enough. There, there are certain things that I think fall squarely on the personnel, 
And I think there's some things that fall squarely in the coach. Eventually it all has to work together and it all gets blamed together. And some of this I think is the the foundational location of where this team is right now in this, in this moment in time, this is a first year GM with a, I'm going to call him a first year head coach and a bunch of young players and some old veterans. And, and like, that's like, at some point we've said this, we're going to say this every episode. This is where this team is. You're going to have to ride the highs and you're going to have to deal with the lows. And let's see, let's find out some answers about the team moving forward. Let's find out if Andrew Burnett can fix the third period issues. Let's find out if, you know, like more than Evangelista, who deserves a starting spot in next year's starting lineup. Like this year's about finding answers to questions and, and fans can just like accept that and be along for the ride. Um, there are some, there's, there's some, again, there's some positives we'll get to here in a second. Um, but I think, again, largely the defense, the goals, the the the, the situations, the pen, penalty kill, personnel-wise, that's Soros and the players being injured. The, this weird moments of the game where you have to inject and instill a killer instinct, that to me is on the coach. So that's that's how I would look at it. Um, yeah, I think I think your point about this year kind of being the setup for next year. I think is is a good way to look at it. If if it helps, look at it. When you're cooking a frozen pizza, you have to preheat the oven. Look at this year as the preheating, and next year as when the pizza is actually going to be cooking. What a very about, what, oversimplified version of, of to think of this Predators season. What, what if I like to like pre-cook some vegetables and mushrooms and stuff, and then put them on the pizza before I put them into the oven? Now nah, you're just pizza. making it too complicated. Okay, that's is that the AHL? Is that what that is? Um, you know it who would never? You know who would never make a frozen pizza for you? I'm I'm guessing it'd probably be Jaspers. Definitely Jaspers. They have I'm tr- seriously like some of the best flatbreads you will ever have in this city. Like super creative. Whether you're a meat lover, whether you love different, there's like a cheese one with like three different kinds of cheese. There's like a Mexican street corn street corn pizza. There is, um, and I can agree because I've actually had their flatbreads and they they are really good. <laughs> He's not lying, folks. He's actually had them. Yes. Um, the best street corn, the street corn one in particular, that's the one I've had. And that one was amazing. So if oh. you're looking, if you're looking to try something new, I would recommend that there's one with like banana peppers and like, uh, like Italian meats and, and like uh, goat cheese along with some regular cheese and sauce. That is, I think it's the Betsy. That one's my favorite. Then there's a, there's like a, a vegetarian one that's got like pesto on it. That's the, like truly creative pizzas, not like your regular old pizzas. Like these are great flatbreads. Uh, so go check them out, of course, at Jasper's, where you can get free parking and great drink specials during Preds games, home and road. All right. So Tommy Novak, huge injury, four to six weeks. Uh, it does it does feel like, and Alex Doherty told this story on It's All Your Fault podcast with Jeremy K. Gover uh, uh, that came out this week, that Barry Trotz seems to be uh, talking to Luke Shen and Ryan McDonough like after the game on Tuesday night and being like, hey, when are y'all coming back? <laughs> But it seems like they're both. Cl- it seems like they're close, right? Shen's maybe a little further off, but it seems like they're close. So that that yeah. could be a po- that could be reinforcements coming for the defense. Uh, but Tommy, I, Novak- I, will, I will say with Novak or not Novak, sorry, McDonough being out there, the Preds are one and four. I think that has kind of helped him in, in the eyes of the fans because there are a lot of people that were down on Ryan McDonough last year, and I think him being out for that five game stretch really kind of shows just how important he really is to this team. That's a that's a very good point, um, especially with the numbers like we just talked about. All the goal, like they're down to 24th in the league and goals allowed 3.47, almost three and a half goals per game uh, since the last time we talked. Uh, and of course, the penalty kill 30th. Uh, Spencer Stasny was called up. So they brought up some defensive help, of course. Um, but Tommy Novak, this is a, a guy who's been, you know, kind, I think unexpectedly continued his pace from last season. 
and it was about a point per game guy, six goals. He's also scoring on the power play. Like he's sort of, he's got a two. I think he could be a little bit more physical. I actually would like to see him be a little bit more physical, but by and large is a complete player for this team. And one of the most consistent players on a night in night out basis and is one of their best goal scorers and is one of their best power play guys. And to lose him at this point of the season, I think is a really big loss for this team four to six weeks out. It does provide opportunity for some young guys to get more reps, which is all about finding answers to questions. Um, impact of Tommy Novak leaving this lineup when he is, how worried are you about this stunting his sort of productivity and growth? And then try to spin it for folks and say like Cody glass, for example, back in the lineup, Philip Tomasino, who you wrote about on Nashville hockey now scored a goal and has been back in the lineup a couple of nights. Is there opportunity for us to find out some more stuff about some other guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you're looking at your your second line center and your second leading scorer being out for four to six weeks, there's definitely an opportunity for some of these younger guys. And I think Cody Glass is probably the first one. But you you can't really understate how big of a loss Tommy Novak is because one, he was probably other than Philip Forsberg right now, he's probably your most productive forward, and it kind of came by chance because look, Cody Glass got injured and he was out and he missed a couple of weeks. Tommy Novak was the guy who who was playing third line center, and they kind of moved him and that entire lineup to the second line because Sherwood, Evangelista, Novak had just been dynamite together. But you're you're looking at Tommy Novak, and he's going to be out for for minimum of a, of a month, probably a little bit longer. And you just look at what that line did. They where were they? They ranked. They had 81 shot attempts, 42 scoring chances, 17 high danger chances, six goals for three high danger goals. And the Predators had a 95.3 save percentage when those three were the forward line that was on the ice. Like the entire, they affected the entire team. Everybody played well when those three were on the, on the ice together. And, and it's not, I don't think it's as simple as you, you pull Novak out and then you put glass in there and expect that line to still produce the way it did. They're very different players. And I think Cody glass probably is, is is hungry to prove that he is a top six forward because he was playing in that spot and then he got injured and Tommy Novak kind of slotted in there and took the ball and ran with it. But this is definitely an opportunity for Cody Glass to kind of come in and prove that he should be the second line center because as long as you know Ryan O'Reilly's on the team, he's probably not going to be playing on the top line. But there's also other players too. You uh, so Parson needs to change his game. Yeah. And Clay uh, Brewer did an excellent story at Nashville Hockey Now with the Predators players with the most to game with Novak on IR. He talked about Cody Glass. He also put Tom, Philip Tomasino in there. Yusuf yep. Parsons in there. Um, some guy that you may may or may not have heard of, Dennis Gurianov, who uh, was highly highly debated about how he fit in with his team in the offseason. He was on there too, and Igor Afanasyev. And I think Afanasyev is an intriguing one. Yeah. He's not a center. Novak was a center. Afanasyev is, is a winger. But if you're if you're talking about mixing the forward lines up, and we saw last night, maybe you you instead of putting Parson on the wing, you put Parson in at center, and maybe you bring up another forward to kind of throw him out there. Afanasyev leads the Admirals with six goals in ten games. He had a hat trick a couple nights ago. He's someone who I think has really found his offensive game after working on the defensive aspect for the last two years, which is what the Milwaukee coaches wanted him to do. Right. Um, and, and also, I think I, I I I even told Clay I totally forgot that Dennis Gurianov kind of existed until I read the story and I was editing it. But <laughs> he's someone that y- you might you might see. I, it wouldn't be surprising. I think he leads the Admirals in scoring. He's second in shots on the team. He's someone who has had a twenty goal season in the NHL. People say that he has a really good shot. He's only twenty six. Like, and and I think at the end of the, the end of the story, 
wrote Nashville needs a sense of urgency. What better way to find it than adding a forward who's in his eighth year and desperate to stay in the NHL? This might be something that lights a fire under Gurianov. I mean, there, there's plenty of options. I, I would probably say the, the two, guys, two guys that have the biggest opportunity, obviously, number one is Cody Glass. And number two is Philip Tomasino. If Tomasino can get into the lineup. I, I feel like all the waiver guys fall into the same. I'm putting like Gurianov into the same bucket of uh, as like the waiver guys. Right, like, 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 foodie and and um, uh, uh, Fagimo. Like, I'll put those guys into the same bucket, sort of, and and say like, oh, if you get something from them, great. If not, uh, it makes sense. I understand that you. That oh, you they got they got one goal from Fagimo before they put him on waivers, and LA claimed him back. So, <laughs> right, foodie hasn't really done much. Um, I'm still waiting for him to kind of earn his spot in the lineup. I feel like he's only there because he can speed, he can skate really yeah. fast and he's got speed, but Guriano someone who I wouldn't be surprised if he gets called up, but I definitely think that this team, and we, we talked about it every week. It, you want Philip Tomasino to prove himself, but the kid can't do it if he's a healthy scratch and you've healthy scratched him in literally half of your games this year. I understand you're playing Not the anymore. Ducks last night. I understand you're playing the Ducks last night and Michael McCarron is six foot six and he's physical and we saw him get into a fight and I understand he's got that physicality and stuff. But if you're a team that is desperate, thirsty, I would say, to score goals, why would you not take your (laughs) former first round pick who has done nothing but score goals up until he got to the NHL? Why would you not give him a chance? I feel like this is just something and and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to I, I think Robbie Stanley tweeted something yesterday saying like he surprised a number of people acting like it's a crime against humanity. Philip Tomasino is getting sad. I don't, I don't think that's it. I, I think it's the fact that you're in the public eye, you're challenging him to prove himself, but you're also not playing him. So how is the kid supposed to prove himself if yeah, he's not yeah. getting the ice time? Well, I think you nailed the names and I agree. I want to ask you what you learned through writing that story about Tomasino that everyone should go check out at Nashville hockey now. But I, I think the three big ones for me are, are Cody glass, Yuso Parson and, and Philip Tomasino. Like, this is your opportunity. You're on a team that already was looking for guys to step into roles and prove that they belong in the NHL. And now a guy that is one of your top goal scorers, top six forwards, and a power play guy, Tommy Novak, of all people, has turned into that. And now you've got now you got to replace him. So it's go, go prove that you belong. This is your chance. Like, this is your opportunity. Uh Tomasino scored a goal against Winnipeg. He got 12 minutes. He went back, they put him back out there against Arizona. He didn't play as well, I don't think. Um, Eleven minutes in that game, but again, you got to—he's got to play consistently to sort of show that you, you can't just throw him out there once or twice and then take him off. And I, to your point, I agree. The style of play against Anaheim maybe doesn't fit his skill, but at the end of the day, you got to learn to play against multiple types of teams. And if you're going to be a starting top six forward, you got to play against every different type of team and every different type of line. That's just how how the game's going to work. So. I do agree that those are the top three. Um, I do want to know what you think you learned about Philip Tomasino and the organization uh, through writing that story, though, uh, uh, about him. Again, go to Nashville Hockey Now and check it out. Yeah, I think the the thing I learned through writing this story was, I think the big takeaway is that the organization isn't giving up on him and they don't plan to. As soon as I saw that he'd been scratched X many times or whatever. And I was like, Oh, this is, this will be an interesting story to start writing. And then I was wondering, well, where does Tomasino really fit into this organization? So I talked to some sources that are close to the situation and close to the team and, and kind of have some insight into what's going on. And, and the, the general consensus I got was that they want to challenge him, but they, like, and I, I think we talked about last week or the week before they want to challenge him, but they don't want to rock his confidence. They, they, 
sending them to the AHL is an option, but I think it's kind of like they want to hold off to the last possible minute before that becomes a reality. They they want they want him to stay in the NHL. They want him to they want to keep putting him to game in games. Maybe they want to keep playing the matchups, especially with Novak out now. You would think this is a golden opportunity for Tomasino to kind of get some playing time. And not only that, and we've talked about this several times too. Tomasino is going to play better if you're playing him with top six players than he does when you're playing him in, in the bottom six. So if you have an opening in the top six, it naturally makes sense to take your former first round pick who you were pretty invested in at this point, put him in the top six with other naturally gifted, offensively talented players and let him figure it out. It might not happen in the first three or four games. It might take take 10, 15 games. It might take all the way up until Tommy Novak gets ready to come back and, and return to the lineup. But I think you you have to give the kid a chance. And I think just talking to to the sources I talked to for this story, um, trading him is definitely not on their minds right now. That was that was one of the the answers I emphatically got was like, oh no, that's not even on on the table. Um, and again, go go check out the story at National Hockey Now. It is it is behind the paywall and an HN Plus story. Um, it's I opened it, I unlocked it for an hour on over the weekend for people to go and read it. Hopefully, to incentivize you to get a a membership um and just just this is this is how sports mo- business models work and stuff and just just reiterate 99% of our site is still free this is just the insider content that we're going to be giving you at Nashville Hockey now this yep. is the the stuff that you you're going to be getting when you get a membership and it, also getting a membership gives you access to our site ads free the number of people that hate the ads on our site including myself is very high so if you hate them go give us 5 bucks a month and you will have to worry about it no, it's about supporting the community. It's the same reason that we at 440 will only use advertisers that are high quality partners in our community. It's why Jasper, and this is not a shill for Jasper's because like I don't bring an advertiser onto these shows that is not worthy of being supported by the audience. And certainly we value you, the audience, so much that we would not promote anything to you that we do not believe in. And so in return, it's like, hey, can you give us a couple bucks to keep going into the tunnel every night on Tuesdays for a team that could be 20 games under 500 in February? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what we're doing here. But the whole point is to continue to tell the good stories and to do the good work. And uh, again, go check it out. Go support good local coverage. And I do think I, I, I my point ultimately last week, and if you didn't hear me like ranting about how if you, you, sh- <laughs> you shouldn't be that worried about a kid's confidence, I get it. NHL players are different. But I do believe if you watch where Arizona is today and how much better they've gotten, look at Colorado winning the cup and how much better they've got after they were so bad. You look at Chicago when they went through their rebuild and now they're going through another rebuild. Like those young players, they lost a lot of games. Playing Philip Tomasino is not going to lose you or win you any more or less games. (laughs) Like the team is just going to be average to below average for most of the season. And that is like, you should use that to your advantage. And I, my argument last week is put all the kids out there. Let's see what you got. Because Miko Rantanen's confidence wasn't shot because they had four bad seasons. No, it hardened him into the star that he is today. And I believe that if you are the guy and you are a top six forward or you're a starter in the NHL, that put in, being put into those situations will turn you into the best version of yourself. And I think, for example, as I used the example last week, I think we are learning before our eyes every night that Luke Evangelista is a building block piece. You got to find more building block pieces. They have so many prospects. Put them all out there. What what do what can you lose? You can't lose more games. <laughs> you can't. So put them out there. 
and see how they handle the struggle and the adversity. See which ones rise to the top, and those are the guys you build around. It's not that hard. And Tomasino has way too much skill and talent to not see what you got, because otherwise, yeah. otherwise you end up like Tolvin in and not knowing exactly what you've got, and and then not knowing how to make a decision. And so again, I they're going to lose games this year. You might as well learn lose games learning about your young players and finding out if they can handle the mental adversity of having a team that is five and 10 and in last place right now. Like yeah, use, I think use something... being in last place to your advantage. I think that's something they kind of have to to get over and just, just trust him. I mean, you drafted this kid in the first round, you've brought him along pretty slowly. Like, look, Tomasino has learned pretty much all he's going to learn in the, in the AHL. I don't really think there's anything that Carl Taylor and Carl Taylor is a fantastic head coach. I don't think there's anything that Carl Taylor and everyone that's in Milwaukee is going to teach him that he can't learn right now from a better coaching staff in the NHL. Play yeah, him, yeah. give him minutes, let him play. Do you think it's it's better for him to go down to Milwaukee and play next to Dennis Gurianov and Igor Afanasiev or play no. in the NHL next to Cody Glass and Gustav Nyquist? Like, well, it's better for his development if you just put him into the lineup and trust him. It, like I said, it might not be the first couple of games, but eventually the kid will figure it out. You just have to have trust in, in the fact that he will eventually figure it out. And, and again, this is not directed at Tomasino. It's directed at every player in every sport. If you don't figure it out, then you're not the answer. And that's okay. Like, so to me, Connor Bedard is coming to town and I'm not going to compare anybody in the Preds organization to Connor Bedard because that's stupid. And I get that Chicago playing in at Bridgestone, but there is like the guy was hyped up in game one of his entire professional career. And he goes out there and plays against, uh, they're playing against Pittsburgh, I believe on the road. Do, do you think there's anybody in the Chicago organization that's like, Hmm, I don't know about his mental confidence. <laughs> like, like, no, they're going to put him out there and he's going to take a lot of lumps. Chicago's not good. Like they're not a good team. And he's going to take a he's going to take some physical hits and some physical beatings and some mental beatings and it's going to be hard. But guess what's going to happen? He's going to get better. And he's going to learn from all that stuff. And again, I'm not suggesting that Philip Tomasino should be held to the same standard as Connor Bedard. That is not what I'm saying, nor any other player in the Preds organization. But you got to learn if these guys can handle it. And so you put them out there, take advantage of the fact that you're you have kind of nothing to lose. And I think playing that free fun uh, style of hockey in a situation where you don't have any pressure. I think you have to find a way to use that to your advantage. And, and I, we, we can move on. It's already, I'm already like on another soapbox now, but like, I just think that that's, you have to find a way to use your situation in the NHL to your advantage. And that, that is what I think, I think they should be doing. And hopefully that means glass Parson and, and Tomasino in the absence of Tommy Novak, those three guys have a chance to really take advantage and claim ownership of a roster spot permanently for the long term. So anyway, yeah, okay. I mean, and those are the three guys during training camp and all throughout the summer that Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett were selling as the future of this team. Now you have to let them go out and be the future of yep. this team. Yep, exactly. Chicago on Saturday, Colorado at home on Monday, Calgary on Wednesday. Let's see if they can get off the schneid and get off the losing streak. Okay, quickly, some NHL notes here. And um, the Adam Johnson, of course, he was the player who passed away after fatally getting hit in the neck with a skate. I thought this twist was really interesting that they arrested a guy in the United Kingdom, uh, Matt Petgrave, 31 years old. They arrested him for manslaughter. Now, I'm not going to pretend to understand what, you know, you know, all the different legal criminal differences between the United Kingdom and, and the United States. But I know manslaughter essentially in the United States is like murder that you didn't mean to commit. <laughs> right, right. To some point, to some degree, it doesn't mean you're not guilty of it. It just means you it wasn't intentional or you didn't intend to, or and there's like degrees, right? First degree, second degree, whatever. 
But to, for a guy to be arrested in what should have been a completely innocuous but very dangerous hit in a sport, I find that to be very interesting. And my conspiratorial brain immediately starts running rampant with like, this guy got arrested. Like, because again, if you watch the video, that skate looks like an unnatural movement, like a, like a, a movement that's on purpose. And and that's pure speculation on my part, and maybe that's irresponsible. But I thought that twist of the story was interesting, considering when I watched the video, the first thing I thought was, holy shit, that guy's trying to hurt the other guy. And if you are, and somebody can prove it, and then the, the then there's a tragedy after the fact, that would lead to a manslaughter charge, I feel like. Yeah, basically what I what I got from from all the news stories I've read about this and 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 him Petgrave being arrested basically was they they've come to the conclusion that he meant to hurt Adam Johnson but he wasn't doing it to try to murder him of basically. Of course not. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. And you would you would hopefully you would like to think basic human decency and also being a professional hockey player that you would not try to go out there and murder someone on the ice. And I was reading uh from the Associated Press cuz they're one of my trusted news sources um reading about this the story and it said that um, manslaughter investigations are conducted a little bit differently in England and in Wales, and they can range from an offense that is not far from being an accident through one that falls just short of murder. So I think that's something to keep in context too with this story is was he trying to murder Adam Johnson? 99.9% sure. No, no. Was he trying to, was he trying to hurt him? Probably. So if you watch the video, and the, just the way his skate comes up and just right. the way he, the right. way he leaves his feet, that was just an right. unnatural move for a hockey yeah. player. So I, again, it's, it's a disconnect. It, it, it shouldn't have happened, but here we are. The disconnect for me is like the intent to injure is one thing in sports, but then going up with your blade of your skate is a different thing like that. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. There's no way this guy was trying to murder him, but in my opinion, but like, there is a, like hockey players know there's certain things you don't do like like there's certain things you don't do in in sports and football and basketball and and like any of these sports and throwing your foot up at somebody's face is is just something that hockey players have instinctually they know better to do that so that that was that see, that was so weird to me um, all right let's finish on a, on a, a a more interesting note here so I thought this was interesting because I had a couple of friends recently visit Quebec City. Uh, it's where the Nordiques were before they moved to become the Avalanche. And my 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 buddies who went were just like, this is one of the coolest places that they've ever, they, they really loved it. Like, like small town, but like in a big city, they thought it was great. And Quebec City is going to host the LA Kings preseason games starting next year. Obviously, that could be a play for one of those California teams. But you know what immediately started, I thinking, what I started thinking was the worst case scenario. It's like, oh, the Preds are terrible and Canada wants more hockey teams again. Y'all better start going to the games because there were not enough of you at the games on Saturday or Tuesday. I know that for a fact. <laughs> Even if the team sucks, you got to we can't have another 2007 here. OK. Yeah. I mean, look, Canada, Canada's always going to want more hockey teams, but maybe Canada should try to fix the Oilers and the Flames before they try to recruit more teams. Maybe they should All try right. to fix the Senators before they try to recruit more teams. They but went I to the Western think- Conference finals two years ago. Stop it. But I do, th- I do think you're right. I do think this is kind of a, a a feeling out process for 
a team coming back to Quebec City. It's it's something that's been on the NHL's radar for years. It's something that I think people yep. in that region definitely want. And look, more teams in the NHL isn't isn't going to make the game any worse. I think it would be it would be fun to have another team in the NHL, especially with as passionate as Quebec City is about their hockey. So I mean, if if it happens, great. If not, oh well. It just sucks that you're in a I'm in a market where like, and I'm in a city where I have so much PTSD that like I don't. Give a, I don't care who actually is playing a pre. I don't care about watching Kings games in Quebec City. I don't care about that. But I know it's a really cool city, and it's a city that loves its hockey, and it's a city that used to have a cool hockey team name and uniform. And oh, by the way, Canada's never going to not try to steal teams that aren't successful. Arizona's dealing with this right now. They're going to get good, and they're going to end up in Quebec. <laughs> like they're going to leave because they the, 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 they didn't figure out how to build the stadium. And so my my initial thought when I see that headline is not, oh, that's cool. The Kings are playing in Canada. It's, oh, shit, who are they going to steal? <laughs> that's that's my first thought. So that's just that's one thing. The last one here. Um, uh, do you think they could put a shot clock in, in the NHL? Because they're, they're toying with the three on three in overtime, which I actually find to be quite entertaining. Uh, but the goal of the three on three, of course, is to not go to a shootout. And so they're trying to they're concerned that like teams are holding onto the puck for too long which does happen. You know, when your team gets the puck, there's generally like two possessions. Maybe the other team gets one, you get one, and then they get one. There's like three or four possessions total because you're kind of just playing with the puck in the, the neutral zone. They're playing, they're toying with the idea of adding a shot clock to that, which, okay, that's interesting. But that's going to be so many, what are you just going to do? Blow a whistle and stop play like every time that you don't get into the offensive zone on time? Like it's, I, I don't understand that part. Yeah, I think that's a terrible idea. I, I can understand it in basketball, but in a, in a sport like hockey, that's normally more fast paced and it takes some time to set up plays and stuff like that. I just I think it's a terrible idea. I think it's a bad idea anytime you want to introduce something that could potentially cause more whistles and more delays. Yeah. And I just more face offs is not a good thing. Yeah. If, if you want to incentivize teams to not go to a shootout, how about you, you, incent- you institute a rule that says if you end up tied after the overtime period, no one gets a point. <laughs> There you go. No, no chance that happens, but interesting. I, hey, all ideas in a brainstorm are good ideas. I no think shootout go, and no points. I think you go to eight minutes. That's what I would do. I would take the overtime period to like eight minutes and just be like, because the whole point is to avoid the shootout, you know? So maybe make it eight minutes. I, three minutes doesn't feel like that much of a, much time to add to players. I know that they've skated a lot and 65 minutes is a lot of time and their legs are tired and I get all that, but like, it's not that big of a deal, right? Extra three minutes. So, oh, the Preds played a three overtime playoff game before, so they're good. <laughs> All right, go to Jaspers, everybody. Sign up Nashville Hockey now for some good Preds coverage. Of course, you can get to Michael at MG Sports underscore. You can get to me at Braden Gall on Twitter.com. We do appreciate you guys listening. Have a great week. Hopefully, some W's and some points next week to talk about. Maybe no more injuries. So, we'll get to all of that. So, thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show, tell somebody about it. That's the community we are building. Otherwise, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next month.